This is Abby Martin, and you're listening to an exclusive Media Roots interview with Cindy Sheehan, mother who has made the ultimate sacrifice and fearless anti-war activist. She relays her powerful, lucid point of view in a candid interview at her home on February 6, 2011. I really enjoyed spending time with Cindy and hope you guys enjoy this interview. Go to MediaRoots.org to donate or find out more. So Cindy, thanks so much for meeting with us today. I really appreciate it. Um, we just kind of wanted to jump straight to the point here. Okay. Uh, you know, it seemed like when you were the figurehead of the peace movement, the mainstream media was fully behind you, and then it seemed like they turned against you, and the anti-war movement turned against you too. They used you as a symbol, and mm-hmm. then they used you as kind of a scapegoat. Mm-hmm. Do you want to elaborate on that? What, what did you think about when that happened? Um, well, first of all, when I went to Crawford in 2005, it was a media circus. I remember like on the third or fourth day, there was this, there's this really cool AP uh, photographer named Matt, and he was down there constantly. And every day I'd say, Matt, is it a media circus yet? And he's like, not quite, not quite. <laughs> and, then, and then about Thursday, it was a media circus. He agreed that it was a media circus. And I think that, you know, I used to think that the media was biased towards the right when Bush was president. And um, so a lot of that media, uh, and all the media, when they started to realize that I was, like, serious, I wasn't just a fluke, and I wasn't going to go away, that they, they, like, put the brakes on it, you know, and started to marginalize me, you know, painting me as just a grieving mother or slightly off um, kilter because of my grief. And so that started to happen that summer, you know, and then, but still, the um, so-called progressive liberal media, I was still like featured uh, so many times on, you know, like Randy Rhodes or Stephanie Miller, or Ed Schultz or you know whomever that considered uh, on the left, up until the Democrats came back into power in 2007 and. Then they didn't like it that I was saying the same things about the Democrats that I said about um, the Republicans. So that came to an end. And I realized then when the Democrats came back into power and, you know, I'm just naming names, Mm. you know, organizations like United for Peace and Justice and Move On, I realized then that they were not peace organizations organizations, you know, United for Peace and Justice should really be united for electing Democrats and move on really is like, let's move, move on to, you know, full democratic tyranny of our government. And so, yeah, of course they didn't like somebody who realized that it was a systemic problem, not a problem of political parties or, or, um, you know, it's not. It wasn't just a problem for one side. It's you know a problem for, for um, the world. And so, um, it's been hard since Obama, especially, has been elected. Because, especially in the beginning, I felt like I was one of the only people in this entire country who was saying no. You know, he's. First of all. Why did you support him when he said he was going to send more troops to Afghanistan? When he said he was going to increase hostilities to Pakistan and, and you know, all of his um, 
hostile rhetoric against Iran and and places like that. And I said, what? And his votes during the Senate, supporting war, paying mm-hmm. for the war, supporting the, um, you know, reauthorization of the Patriot, right. for example, things like that. I was like, how can you? How, we have good candidates. Right. We have Cynthia McKinney. We have Ralph Nader. You know, they they always have said and done the right things. So why are you supporting someone who's against what you supposedly believe in? You were against those same things when Bush was president. Why are you? A pro these things now that Obama's president. So it was really, really hard, you know, but I never once considered saying, oh, let's just give them a chance. Let's wait and see, you know, because the three days after, for example, after he was elected, he bombed um, Pakistan. Right. So it, it, it seems to be getting a little better. A lot of people are starting to come around, but I think that it's just... It's just like, well, f- you know, finally, uh, two years into this administration, you're against against the wars again. Again, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's why I loved I remember I saw you, I think it was like immediately after Obama got elected, I saw you in San Diego speaking right. at the peace rally. It was a and, couple months after, yeah. And you were just saying the same things. You just said, why are we surprised? I mean, mm-hmm. he said that he was going to do these things. Right. We shouldn't be shocked that he's he's being, um, he's an aggressive imperialist. This is this is who he, he campaigned on as. Um, so I loved, I loved that, and I loved how people, you didn't skip a beat, and that's, that means that you're a true advocate for peace, mm-hmm. and a lot of people align themselves with the Democrats and think that that's, that's an alternative, and that's for peace, it doesn't make any sense, they're both aggressive imperialists just on two sides of the coin. Well, there's, but there's some people who are um, so-called, so-called anti-war, so-called peace activists, who know it's the two-party system is a sham, Mm -hmm. who know that the Democrats are no different from the Republicans, but still it's about, um, you know, political party over policy and over peace and over progressivism. And so we can't, there's some people who, you know, just had it after eight years of the Bush administration, Mm -hmm. like all of us did, and they wanted a a change, and they didn't hear what Obama was saying. Mm -hmm. They saw how he was saying it. They didn't hear what he was saying. So those people are one thing. But the people who are high up in the anti-war movement, high up in these organizations that literally used me to um, to promote anti-Bush, you know, the anti-Bush mm-hmm. agenda, which I was anti-Bush. I still am anti-Bush. Right. You know, to, to promote that agenda without following through on, you know, what I felt was the most important thing, and that's ending the wars. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's no excuse for those people. Right. There isn't. Um, and just going along with what you're saying, you know, it's astounding. That video that I sent you about just interviewing people in the Bay Area and how asleep they are. Mm-hmm. All these people, they love Obama, but they don't know why. They right. can't tell you one thing that he's doing. Right. Um, and, and just encountering other peace activists, do you see more of a trend now, like you said, two years after his presidency, finally... Do you see people waking up more and saying, oh, my God, I was duped? Yes, that definitely So you are encountering that a lot more. Yes, and, and um, just like it happened when Bush was president, I had so many Republicans email me and say that they felt the same way. You know, that at first they hated me, but then they really started to research or he did something that set them over the edge or whatever. And that started happening towards the end of the Bush administration, Mm -hmm. and and it's starting to happen now, too, because I think, really, the people who were opposed to Bush and opposed to his policies 
or I would think they were more of the intelligent people in our country. So it's not going to take them eight years to wake up like it took some Bush supporters. And I'm not saying Bush supporters are stupid, but <laughs> <laughs> I guess yeah, I am saying that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if you supported Bush and still support him, what, what's the matter with you? Really? Come on. It's just, it, I almost feel like they're, yeah, you know, I'd love to give people the benefit of the doubt and be like, you know, it's going to take you a couple years to wake up. But I mean, if you got it and if you woke up during the Bush administration, I don't see how you got duped at all. I mean, you know, there was really no, Absolutely, yeah. I just don't see it. Um, I agree. No change in civil liberties, no change in foreign policy. Except I, for the worse. Except that since Obama's been president, many things have gotten worse. Oh, exacerbated. Yeah, 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 exactly. So why are people so terrified to look outside the two-party system? Um, that's a good question that I can, I, maybe I can answer it because I used to be that way. And before Casey was killed, I just almost automatically, without thinking too hard, just went and voted for the Democrats. And, um, it would, I, I thought that I was liberal, you know, I thought that I was on the left of the political spectrum, but after... And then when Bush was elected in 2000, that's really when I started to think about things. It's like, wow, you know, this, this guy just and his, his you know, um, machine just like stole the elections right out from under. And I wasn't like a, a, a huge gore advocate at all, you know. Mm-hmm. I just, um, it just, that's my automatic vote. And so, and then the Supreme Court, and you know, um, enthroned George Bush as president, and and I just I thought that was so wrong, but I didn't really know what to do about it. And then I just thought, oh well, you know, he's only going to be president. Obviously, he's only going to be president for four years because he's such an idiot. Mm-hmm. And I started. I and before that election, it might have been the first time I really started to check deeply into the background of the candidates and uh, back, check into his background in Texas. And I, you know, I was appalled at his um, performance in Texas. So my vote for Gore probably at that point was the first time I actually voted against somebody instead of for somebody. I, I wasn't for Reagan. I wasn't for, you know, Bush one or, or any of the um, Republicans, but I, I wasn't like so much for the Democrat. But then when in 2004, I really bought into that lie that that Ralph Nader was the reason that George Bush became president. Because, you know, if Ralph Nader wasn't running, then Gore would have won Florida in 2000. In 2000 yeah. yeah. In 2004, I bought into that lie, though. I mean, I had, a, I had a lot at stake. I was more awake because my son was killed in March and the elections were in November. So I was going around the country speaking out against Bush and people were telling, you know, the people I was with were telling me, you know, especially like Medea Benjamin from Code Pink, you know, who um, was one of the early advocates in the Green Party to support Kerry instead of um, supporting the Green Party candidate, was telling me that it was because of, of Nader that George Bush won. And we were in Florida. And actually, you know, the the 
bottom line about Nader stealing the election from Gore is that Gore actually won Florida. Mm-hmm. He won Florida by something like 529 votes mm-hmm. before it was stopped. And so I bought into that lie. And so, I, again, I wasn't raging pro-Kerry because I did not like Kerry, but I was raging against George Bush. And so thinking that it might make a difference, even though Kerry said, and see, this is the same thing with the Obama followers. Even though Kerry said he was going to send more troops to Iraq, I still thought, well, he would be better than Bush. So, you know, most of the people in this country, they just affiliate with the party, whatever their parents affiliated with, and they don't put too much thought into it. And that's the way I was before my son was killed. And those are the people that we need to educate and reach out to. But like before, it's the people who know, but still help help the people who aren't that aware come to the conclusion that you have to vote for a Democrat are the ones that are the problem. You know, they're, they're the ones that um, we're not going to change. We have the hope of changing, of changing just regular grassroots America. We're not going to change the operatives. So um, they're doing it because they're doing it deliberately. And have you talked to any of these people? I mean, it seems like you've been in contact with a lot of these people like from Move On and stuff like that. And have you asked them, why are you perpetuating this? I mean, you know that this isn't the solution. It can't be. Um, I, early, early on, I really had a lot of dialogue with, with people like that. In fact, in August of 2005, Move On sent two really high up people in their organization, um, Tom Andrews from Win Without War and, um, Glenn Smith, I've, He's with Move On. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't know what in what, but he's a Texan, and and I knew both of them before, so they sent them, um, and we had a meeting in my trailer, and they wanted me to support a bill that was not supportable, and it was a it was a Democrat Republican co-sponsor bill about getting out of Iraq eventually, and I was just like. No, you know, that's not what mm-hmm. Camp Casey's about. That's not what the affiliated organizations, um, we call them the skin in the game organizations, Veterans for Peace, IVAW, Gold Star Families for Peace, and Military Families Speak Out. I said, no, we're calling for an immediate end to the occupations of Iraq and mm-hmm. Afghanistan. And so that's when they basically just like said, okay, you know, see you later. If you won't support this, this awful bill, then we're not going to support you. And then um, when the 2000th soldier was getting ready to be, be killed in Iraq, um, we were in Washington, D.C., calling for civil disobedience. And then a move on totally, like, severed ties and said, no, you know, we're doing a candlelight vigil. And I said, okay, then there's going to be a 3,000th soldier, a 4,000th soldier, a 5,000th soldier, you know, if we don't start to, to get a little more radical with our with our demonstrations and you're the one that has the major list and then in 07 it was the fifth wait no 08 the fifth anniversary of Mm -hmm. the invasion of iraq united for peace and justice refused to call a demo in dc saying they didn't want to um embarrass the democrats wow yeah i mean just 
boldly said, we don't want to embarrass the Democrats. Get an effing backbone. Yeah, so, um, yeah, I've had had so, so much dialogue with these people. I just finally wrote an article, and I said that all the people from Move On have blood on their hands. Mm-hmm. You know, and anybody who supports this empire, supports any part of... Because that's when Move On was saying, telling their their groups that they need to support the Democrats and supporting the supplemental war funding. And I was just like, you all have blood on your hands. And then it's like, oh, you said we have blood on your hands. I said, you do. Yeah. You know? So you have have two choices. Keep supporting the Democrats or support peace. Mm -hmm. And you're supporting the Democrats, so that means you have blood on your hands. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I'm... You know, I'm the I'm the awful, horrible person for saying these people have blood on their hands and blah blah blah, whatever. But you know, it's just to me, it's just very simple and very clear cut. You're either for killing or against killing. Okay. If you're for Democrats, you're for killing. Right, right, absolutely. It's, it's the same thing. This it's basic age old rhetoric that we hear all the time like we can't pull out it would be chaotic it's like well we're just staying there and just killing people and it's just chaos right um so we need to get the hell out of there we need to end these wars i mean we're killing people on a daily basis there's no progress at all i mean the iraq government's a complete sham well it's just like the rhetoric of the empire around egypt if mubarak leaves there'll be chaos oh like there's not chaos there now okay you know And at least it'll be, you know, by and for the people. Exactly, yeah. It's astounding just this whole thing with um, the comparison between Obama's reaction to the Iranian revolution. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, we need to, like, yeah, the people are going to have a revolution. Now it's just like, oh, well, you know, the Muslims might take it over and just, Mm -hmm. like, this whole transition because we give them $1.5 billion a year. We don't, you know, he's a a chess piece to us. Right, exactly. He's a puppet. Um, And how, you know, we're talking about Code Pink and... What organizations could you still stand by as being um, respectable and really standing for peace? Veterans for Peace, Code Pink? Veterans for Peace, um, well, you know, I want to just like very clearly say that any, any of the local chapters or people who are working, um, you know, on the ground doing counter-recruitment or opposing you know, the war machine manufacturers and and the people in the local communities are all great. You know, it's the national organizations and and the national um, people that, that I've had problems with. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Veterans for Peace seems to be moving a little to the left. Although in 2005, they they were the first to call for the impeachment of George Bush that I know mm-hmm. of the first organization and a chapter this year from Florida brought the same exact resolution just changed Bush to Obama and the membership would not um, support a call for the impeachment of Obama even though it was identical it was identical resolution Mm -hmm. so I see them moving, but I do see them moving a little bit to the left. Um, Veterans for Peace. I um, I'll work with any organization, you know, if if we're doing, you know, if they're doing something or I'm doing something and they want to endorse that 
that conforms to the mission statements of our organization. I find the the most authentic um, principled organization is World Can't Wait, though. And um, they have uh, been consistent in their message, no matter mm-hmm. who's president. So I work with them a lot. Yeah, I like them too. That's good. And going along with um, just figures in the left, you know, I'm not even saying that John Stewart's necessarily a, someone that you should be paying attention to, but it is funny. He had that whole um, rally restore sanity, and on his show, he's making this false equivalency between Code Pink people and these hysterical right-wing tea mm-hmm. partners. Mm-hmm. It's just disgusting. Mm-hmm. You know, how dare you? Well, you know, it's about, to him, it's about extremism on any side, you know, and I had a little different take. It's like, how can you compare Code Pink to a principled left-wing organization when they actually, uh, many of them supported Obama, Mm. you know, and so (laughs) I was like, I was a little offended that, that, (laughs) you know, he he would pick Code Pink as being an extremist organization just because, you know, they get... They they do they do do great stuff you know once in a while and they and they get on the um, you know they get on TV because they're you know flamboyant and out there but um, that whole you know yeah John John Stewart is just to me completely disgusting you know with his um, we gotta go along he's he's another one and you can you can send this to John Stewart John Stewart you have blood on your hands too. <laughs> You know, because the middle is death. The middle is destruction. The middle is suffocation. And, you know, to call people, you know, even coping, to, to call anybody who is advocating for an end to the, to the death, to call them extremist is, and, and to lead, because these people have a following you know, that's what gets me is to lead your following astray is um, just just unconscionable. And if you are a comedy show, be a comedy show. Mm-hmm. You know, don't call for rallies. Don't don't have an editorial position. Just be a comedy show. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised that a lot of the people like Rachel Maddow, Keith, I mean, a lot of these people that were seem to be completely behind our point of view during the Bush administration, were you surprised at all, or did you kind of see it as, you know, just the system? It's obvious that they would kind of go well, you with know, the grain? Or? I think Rachel uh, has done a lot of good stuff, and the thing is, when you become a part of NBC, you actually start cashing your paychecks from the war machine. Mm-hmm. I mean just you know that's just the the fact of the matter but like I said earlier when I first started it was like I thought that the media was biased towards the right it's just biased towards empire and so you know if you have you have MSNBC and Fox as as you know theoretically the two extremes of the left wing the right wing but if you pay attention to them they're mostly like criticizing each other Mm. You know, it's like Keith Olbermann, the worst person of the in in the world almost every day was Bill O'Reilly. Why? Right. You know, right. why isn't it Barack Obama? Right. Why isn't it Eric Holder? Why right. isn't it George Bush? Or Dick? Oh, it often was. 
But, you know, why, why isn't it these people who are actually doing physical damage? I mean, not saying that Bill O'Reilly is a good person. He's not. You know, but um, I paid attention to him and Sarah Palin. It's distracting us, right? From real and and obviously, these people are just meant to do that. You know, Sarah Palin it was actually um, insurance that Obama would be elected. Right. You know, there was a lot of um, in the primaries. You know, there was a lot of people who, for some reason, supported Hillary, and that schism was about to tear the party apart was one of the things. And, you know, the, the Hillary ladies, I forget what they called themselves. It was it was something really creative though. What was it? anyway, the people who really mm-hmm. supported Hillary, they were actually advocating for people to vote for McCain until Palin wow. was his. And, and you know, I don't know if that would have had had a big effect on um, the vote for Obama or not. The the schism in the party between Hillary and Obama, but you know, also when you have an open seat and you have so many people running, you know, there's there's always you you need something to tie everybody together behind yeah. the people who eventually gets the nomination. Sarah Palin definitely was that. I had people who were so against Obama, even when they knew McCain was the the presumptive nominee of the Republican Party, but when Palin was was nominated, they put the brakes on. And they were like, "Oh, you know, anything's better than a McCain-Palin ticket." It didn't seem. It did seem pretty constructed. Yeah. It it seemed very. Uh, I don't know. Manufactured to me, and I agree with you. Um, and yeah, people don't question why are we? Why do we have this empire? It seems like we just have these these people up that are arguing about how to how to. Um, operate this mm-hmm. empire right. but we don't ask why do we need an empire and why do we need to be aggressive imperialists and invade countries and occupy them so yeah it's the pre-propaganda that we don't question and that's what needs to be questioned at every point that we have public debate and um what do you, i mean you know we're talking about egypt's revolution what do you think it would take to see a revolution on egypt's scale in this country do you think that it's possible um i've course think that it's possible but the the hard thing is in the United States is that um, uh, uh, according to the recent income um, it's the Gini index that the United States has a greater income disparity than Egypt Wow. And Tunisia. Really? And Yemen. Wow. But but the that was like really super, you know, um, eye opening. But the thing is, is our standard of living here is so high is that, you know, people here think that as long as they can, you know, survive that that they're middle class. They're doing, you know, that that they they can be like that someday if they just work hard and keep their nose clean. There's still those myths Mm -hmm. that are operating. So, um, of course, they're keeping the unemployment rate artificially low. You know, now I think it's at 9%, when really it's double that. Because it was this month in January that that I think how many... um, people fell off of the unemployment rolls, so they're not counted anymore. 
because they're not receiving unemployment. Even though they're still unemployed, they're not counted. And I love the people taking moonlighting shifts of other jobs. They're, we're not counting that these people are doubling up right. know, also. So that's exactly. contributing to it as well. So um, the real unemployment rate's around, hovering around 20, 22%. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's great depression unemployment rate. And then, uh, you know, millions of people are losing their homes. And, and unfortunately, I think that in Egypt, it was a, that was the, the breaking point for them, was the, you know, making um, poverty wages and uh, no jobs and, you know, things like that. So the young people, you know, it was the young people that started it and mm-hmm. got out into the streets. So as long as we are given, in the United States, given the appearance of prosperity and given the, the appearance of democracy, um, things are going to have to get a lot worse, I think, before we'll be able, where, <laughs> where the, you know, the box of lies, when people start realizing that, that their experience and their community's experience isn't driving with what they're saying on TV. Because for one thing, they don't want to see it, you know, and for another thing, they don't have time to see it. So I think things are gonna have to get worse here before we start to see, but who knows? Mm -hmm. You know, you never know if there's gonna be a tipping point where people are just gonna, you know, have enough and and get out into the streets. Let's hope. And where could, where could people find out more about you and your radio show and everything that you have going on? Well, my website is cindysheehandsoapbox.com, cindysheehandsoapbox.com, and my um, radio show's there, my link to my blog is there, and um, recognizing the fact that we live in a mythocracy. Um, I wrote a book called Myth America, 20 Greatest Myths of the Robber Class in the Case for Revolution, that tonight, and you know about this too, tonight we're having a conference call with almost 200 people on it um, to start something called Recreating Revolutionary Communities. And that's just um, recognizing that there's very little we can do to change the robber class, I call them, here in the robbed class. The only thing we can do is become reverse Robin. We can become Robin Hoods. (laughs) The robber class are reverse Robin. We can become Robin Hoods and start keeping our own resources, keeping our own um, uh, children, money, whatever, in our own communities and our own families to strengthen our communities and families. And recognizing the fact that very few of us have Apache helicopters with uh, you know, Hellfire missiles attached to them in our garage. You know, we can't really um, face even if we were violent, which we're not, you know, we can't face, we can't even defend ourselves against, you know, the empire. Absolutely. You know, I have a, I have a hammer, I think, <laughs> somewhere. So, you know, I think that our response has to be very positive and very healthy and um, supporting each other and supporting um, our families and communities and getting a good education getting, being healthy physically, um, you know, growing our own food, selling our own food, trading our commodities instead of participating in the globalization. So this is a localization movement 
combining with many localization movements around the world, a lot of people are moving in the same direction. So instead of us being starved to death, we want to starve the the global ruling class to yeah, death. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's it's the only way it can work because people are so duped into this federal change thing that we just like pay attention every four years and then nothing happens and then people just get disempowered. So it really is all about localization. That's the only way. And they want us to be violent. Absolutely. Wouldn't it be great for them if we all took to the streets with our, with, you know, whatever. It would be the perfect excuse. Yeah. They would love it. They would love it if we did it that way. That's why we can't and we have to stay strong and stay peaceful. And I love, um, you're a contributing writer for Al Jazeera as well. Mm -hmm. And your articles are great. I learned about Afia Siddiqui, Mm -hmm. which was insane. Mm -hmm. No one's talking about that. So um, where can people find more? Do you have a column on Al Jazeera or are those just cataloged on your website? Um, They're in my blog. So people can go on my blog. Um, I don't like come out regularly like maybe two or three times mm-hmm. a month in Al Jazeera whenever whenever we can all get it together to get one published there hasn't been one published since the Egyptian uprising because they're all you know understandably mm-hmm. there's so much going on there but um, and another there's a development in Afia Siddiqui there was a um, I just a CIA operative in Pakistan that killed two Pakistanis mm-hmm. And the U.S., I forget what his name is, the U.S. is claiming diplomatic immunity for him, and Pakistan saying, no, we're not good. letting him go. But the, the families of the people he killed are saying, we have a good solution. Let's trade him for a Dr. Siddiqui. Wow. Yeah. And, <laughs> and to have the families be so, um, you know, incredible. giving and compassionate like that, I think is a moment of grace. And so I'm going to be writing about that soon because it, it is it's it's just something that the americans can't really understand what a beautiful story mm-hmm. oh my god and is there anything else i, that oh, you I was, to, yeah i wanted to ask you if there's any like specific blogs or, or websites or even just figures kind of po- the post obama era that you really admire we're big fans of glenn greenwald you think that he's a good i do i think um glenn greenwald has um, been one of the earlier um, reporters of what's really happening. Unfortunately, he was an Obama supporter, so yeah. I really have to. He, he was at one time. Yeah, I give him. <laughs> but I, but but he was one of the first ones, I think, to wake up to the fact that he just totally got. And he's a really good person. Um, I've had him on my radio show before. So I do like Lynn. Um, I like the websites uh, Global Research. I like um, Glenn Ford of the Black Agenda Report. I like the Black Commentator. They've been very, um, you know, openly critical of our our first so-called black president. Mm And to me, that shows a lot of integrity to, to, to you know, be consistent yeah. and not fall for, you know, the, the hypnosis of the Obama administration. And, oh, gosh, there's just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I on, um, from a riotish kind of perspective, I like antiwar.com. You know, I like them because they are libertarian, but they don't get into the whole... You know, capitalism is great 
that's just about at being anti-war, and they always have a lot of good, good things on. Good. Michael Prenti is always real right on. Awesome. Stuff like that, yeah. So. Well, I know you have a lot going on today, so I'll let you uh, go. But thank you so much, Cindy. This was amazing. Thanks so much for listening, you guys. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Cindy Sheehan, conducted on February 6, 2011. Please go to mediaroots.org for more information. Thanks so much. <laughs>